Um, I'm, a, I'm a huge Disney fan. Um, any of you who've known me for any length of time know that about myself. I'm a huge Disney fan. One of my favorite Disney movies is Hercules. I love Hercules so very, very much. And one of the opening songs is called The Gospel Truth. And I always thought that was hilarious because you've got a bunch of Greeks singing about Greek gods saying that's the gospel truth. Um, just because it's a style of music. And I was like, this is silly, even if it is catchy. Um, have you ever heard this phrase? The social gospel. That's out there. The social gospel is the belief that the purpose of the church is to make society better. The, per the sole purpose of the church is to feed hungry people, to clothe people who need clothes, uh, to help people who are financially in need. And don't get me wrong, the church throughout the years has done those things. But there's a difference between things that the church does and the church's purpose. I know you've heard this next one. How about this? Prosperity gospel. I know y'all have heard that one. Prosperity gospel is the false belief that if you... Believe hard enough, whatever that means. If you believe hard enough, if you believe deeply enough, then God is just going to shower down financial blessings on you so that you can have a suit, car, and private airplane just as nice as that pastor's who's telling you these things. Prosperity gospel. We throw that word around a lot, don't we? That's the gospel truth, social gospel. Prosperity gospel. You know, gospel music. I've heard some gospel music that does a good job of communicating the gospel. I've heard some gospel music that it's just a style. They don't say anything biblical. We throw that word around. And if you throw the word around so much without defining it, it eventually loses its meaning. Kind of like Kleenex. Or if you're in South, would you like a Coke? What kind? Sprite. Everything down here is a Coke. Xerox. You run a copy of it. It used to be a brand. It still is, but now you can Xerox anything. Any facial tissue is a Kleenex. If you throw the word gospel around so much that it loses its meaning, we have a problem as a church because our purpose is not primarily to feed the hungry. It is not primarily to clothe those who are in need. It is not primarily to help those who are financial in need. It is not primarily to make society better. It is primarily to preach and be identified by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is a word that has a clear, defined meaning. We're going to talk about that today. So if you would stand with me out of the respect for the reading of God's Word, we're going to be in the first chapter of the book of Galatians. The first book of Go Eat Popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And we're going to be in verses 6 through 10 of chapter 1. Starting in verse 6 of Galatians 1. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from Him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. 
As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray that I would remain faithful to the gospel behind this pulpit this morning. And then when we leave this church, we'll have a clear definition of what that word means and what you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. The gospel. If you claim to be a Christian... You need to understand that the gospel has a very clear defined meaning. If you are not a Christian, what we offer to you, the gospel, has a very clear defined meaning. And if a false gospel is being preached, hear me now. If a false gospel is being preached in the pulpit, that is not a church. Okay? I don't care what it says on their sign. I don't care what denomination they're in. I don't care whether they're wearing suits, ties, jeans, t-shirts. I don't care. I don't care if their music is loud, if it's soft, if it's got a piano and an organ, or if it's got 8 billion guitars, subwoofer. I don't care. If the message coming from behind the pulpit is not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ as revealed by the Bible, it is not a church. But we're a church, so I'm going to preach the gospel, okay? I want us to look at two important points about the fact that the gospel has a clearly defined meaning. It cannot just be whatever you want it to be. The church in Galatia was supposed to reject... Now, this is going to sound harsh, but this is just biblically true. Paul instructed the church at Galatia, if anybody comes and preaches a different gospel to you, that teacher is cursed. Not just, I'm not the biggest fan. Not just, I'll change the radio station. Not just I'll change the TV channel. If a preacher preaches a different gospel, if a messenger brings a different gospel, if a Sunday school teacher brings a different gospel, the church was supposed to reject that teacher as cursed. But they had not done that. They had taken and accepted false gospel teachers and brought them into their ranks and it was going through the church like wildfire to the point where Paul has to write them this letter. Like we saw last, this is the only letter that Paul wrote that did not start with a thankfulness for their faithfulness. This is the only letter that Paul wrote that way. He doesn't call them the churches of God in Galatia. He calls them the churches of Galatia. There is nothing amongst this group of people in the beginning of this letter that Paul identifies them with God. He's questioning their status as believers because they have abandoned the gospel. So let's start out by seeing that any gospel that is different from the Bible's gospel is false and must be rejected. Look at verse 6. Paul says, I marvel that you're turning away so soon. Marvel is a word of shock. It's used several times in the New Testament, get this, as a response and reaction to a miracle being performed. When Jesus calmed the storm 
on the sea, when, when they bring him out, he's taking a nap. And Jesus is like, why you wake me up? We're not going to die. I'm not going to let you. And they're like, we're going to. And he tells the storm, hush. And it says they marveled and said, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? That word marvel is the same as this word. Paul is just as shocked that the Galatians are turning away from the gospel he taught them as the disciples were when Jesus calmed the wind and the waves. He's very surprised. Um, to Paul, the fact that the Galatians have left what he taught them to go to another gospel was nothing short of miraculous. Um, one of my favorite preachers from the ancient history of the church, John Chrysostom, uh, had this to say about the marveling of Paul. He says, I marvel not only by way of reproof that after such bounty, after such remission of their sins, such overflowing kindness, they had deserted to the yoke of servitude. But also in order to show that the opinion he had of them was a favorable and exalted one. For he had ranked them among ordinary and easily deceived persons, he would not have felt surprised. But since you, he says, are of the noble sort and have suffered much, I do marvel. Have you ever met somebody that for a time, buddy, every time the church doors were open, they were in there. They were there on Wednesday, they were there on Sunday morning, they were there on Sunday night, they were there for Sunday school, they were there during vacation Bible school, they were there during Bible studies, they were out church, they were there every time. And then all of a sudden it's like they fell off the face of the earth. And you sit there and you're just like, what happened? Where did they go? That's the same reaction, take that feeling, this is Paul. Paul is saying, I know you guys. I spent all this time with you. I spent all this time teaching you. And, and like Chrysostom says, after such bounty, look, think of how God has blessed us. Think of how God has blessed you. After such remission of sin, think of what God has forgiven you of. You ain't got to look around in other pews. You can just think about that yourself. Think of what God has forgiven you of. Such overflowing kindness. When you think about the fact that God did not have to forgive you any of that. But He did because He loves you and He's kind. Chrysostom says Paul is shocked because the Galatians had experienced this. They had heard this message. They knew that God loved them. They knew that God wanted to show them kindness. They knew that God had provided for the remission of their sins without their work. He had done it on their own and still they had turned aside to this fake mess. And he's shocked by it. These are the people that Paul would not have figured to be the deserters. Paul says that, that he's shocked that they're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. So let's break this down. What is Paul saying? Our job as detective here is to figure out what it was they left and where it was they went. Because Paul says they're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ. This is our starting point. This is where they left. This is where they went. Their starting point was the salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's what Paul preached. That's why he says... You've turned away so soon from Him who called you in the grace of Christ. 
I will always give this definition because it never fails that there's someone here that needs to hear it for the first time or hear it again. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is something that God gives you that you don't deserve, that you don't work for, that you haven't earned, that God has earned it for you. That is what grace is. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 says, By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So look at that. By grace you have been saved through faith. What does it mean to be saved by grace through faith? That means that you are having faith that the work of Christ is enough for you. That you don't get up in the morning, if this is your Christianity, you're not saved. Okay? Just take what I'm about to say. If this is your quote-unquote Christianity, you're not saved. If you get up in the morning and you've got a checklist, and you say, okay, I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to pray. I'm going to do at least three random acts of kindness today. Maybe I'll pay for somebody's Chick-fil-A for them in the drive-thru. That seems like a very Christian thing to do. I'll do that. Just eating at Chick-fil-A probably counts as one good deed for some people. You know? And then you've got your list of negatives down at the bottom of your checklist. I ain't going to cuss today. I'm not going to do this today. I'm not going to think mean thoughts about that coworker that I cannot stand today. And at the end of the day, you look at your checklist. And if there are more good checks than bad checks, God's happy with you that day. And if there are more bad checks than good checks, then you better be really good tomorrow or there might be a lightning storm. If that is your Christianity, you're not saved. You're just not. That's not grace. That's called works. That you're thinking, if I work hard enough, if I try hard enough, then God's going to like me. And I'm going to earn His favor. But that's not what Paul said. By grace you've been saved through faith, in that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Nobody gets to stand in front of God and say, Bless me, Lord, for I am awesome. Nobody gets to do that. Every single one of us, if we stand before God in His favor, it's because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. His finished work. His good work on our behalf. That we have faith in Him. And then Paul says in Romans 3.28, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. The starting point of the church's, uh, the church in Galatia's transition, they understood that the finished work of Jesus Christ takes sinful human beings who are unable to themselves into a position of purity, righteousness, and, acceptabil and acceptability before God and places them squarely and securely in His favor without wrath towards their sin. If you're sitting there today, well, I'm just... You know, I've trusted Jesus Christ, but I'm just afraid that, that God's punishing me for something. No! If you've come to the Lord Jesus Christ, all of God's wrath for all of your sin was poured out on Him. You're free. You're free! Well, Josh, you don't know what I did. No, and I don't want to. 
But Jesus knows he died for it. You're free. Did I mention that? So, well, Josh, I wish you'd quit repeating yourself. We got it. You might, but it's my experience that in general, there's somebody in here who, for whatever reason, they are pushing back against that freedom because you cannot, you simply cannot believe that God could forgive you without you having to do anything. Well, I just ain't worked hard enough. I was always raised that you work to earn what you get. Yes, and that might be the way your workplace works. That might be the way sports works. But praise Jesus, it is not the way God works. You can't earn it. And there's some of y'all over here. I'm going to read this verse and then I'm going uh, I'm, I'm to give you a little illustration. Romans eleven six. If it's by grace, then it's no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it's no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. In general, there is a spectrum. There are people over here who think, I read my Bible, I said my prayers, I didn't cuss, I did my random acts of kindness for the day, I've given money to the needy, I didn't do this, I didn't do this, I didn't do this, I didn't do this. I'm awesome. Bless me, God. And you've got your list that you think makes you righteous, and your pride is keeping you from coming to Jesus. You need to repent of your pride and come to the cross and find grace through faith apart from works. That's what you need. But, for every one of those, there's also folks over here who are broken hearted, not because they don't think they're sinners, but because they know they are. And that can lead you into downright depression. Because you know that God is good, and you know that you are not. And it keeps you up at night, because you just wish that you could be free of this burden. Here's the good news. You can be. <coughs> Whatever is going through your head saying right now, Josh, I can't. I can't come to Christ because I dot, dot, dot. I can't come to Christ until I dot, dot, dot. I can't come to Christ because I'm dealing with dot, dot, dot. I can't come to Christ because I'm addicted to dot, 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 dot. Stop. Stop it. If it's 95% grace... And 5% you working hard, it's not grace. It's works. That's what Paul said. It's either all grace or no grace. And good news is for you, it's all grace. All you got to do is say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus Christ, I know that I've sinned. I know that there's nothing I can do about it. But I believe based on what your word says that you have done everything for me. And I will stop trying to earn your favor. And I will trust that you earn the Father's favor on my behalf. And I trust it and give it to you. And you know what? You're free. You're free. How much does it cost? Y'all, you, you do know that when we pass these offering plates around here at the end, folks are not buying God's pleasure. I agree. You know, when we pass the plates, it's not like people are buying God being happy with them. Those are not membership dues. 
Okay? That, that doesn't earn you any special benefits with God. That's not, there's not a monetary price on it. The price has been paid. Paid by Jesus Christ. That's where Galatia started. But where did Galatia go? Ending point, they went to a different gospel. Paul defined this as any gospel other than what he preached to begin with. The gospel we just discussed, hear me out, is the only gospel. There's not another one. Social gospel, they stole the word. Prosperity gospel, they stole the word. There's not another one. The simplest guess, okay, so the gospel's by grace, right? And this proves to be true. Go to any other religion you want. This proves to be true. The gospel is done. Every other religion in the world says, do this. Christianity says, done. So if you're going to leave the real gospel for a false gospel, almost all of the time, I've never found a, a case where it's not this, you go from done to do this. That there are regulations, there are stipulations, and that's exactly what Galatia stumbled into. They left the gospel where Jesus had finished the work, and they went to a false gospel where they now had to start doing the work. And I did not put this on your handout, because eventually we're going to get to it as we go through this book, but this is how I know this is what Galatia did. Galatians 3, 2 through 4. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? If you were in Sunday school with us this morning, then you were studying the Day of Atonement from the most fun book in the Bible, the book of Leviticus. I know, it's a barn burner, isn't it? I told my Sunday school class, I said, I, I love it when I can look into the Old Testament and I can see the new. And one of the neatest things in the Old Testament was the Day of Atonement, the day that God prescribed the Old Testament covenant people, Israelite, the, the, Israel, the day He prescribed for them, this is the day that your sins for the year will be atoned for. Do you know what one of the statutes was? One of the rules for the Day of Atonement was? You're not allowed to do any work. The priest does all the work for you. It's there. It's in the Old Testament. The priest does all the work on your behalf. Church, Jesus Christ is our great high priest who does all the work on our behalf. There's none left for you to do. But Galatia had bought the lie. Well, no, you've got to do this. And Paul says, how much of this fake stuff had you done when the Holy Spirit came and indwelled you? Miracles that were done among you. How many of those were done because you kept the law? And how many of those were done because of your faith in Christ? But Paul says, turned away to another gospel, verse 7, which is not another. There is no other gospel. So why would anybody do that? Why would anybody teach a false gospel? Why would that happen? Paul says they trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. 
let me warn you as you now. I, Pastor comes kind of from the word pastoral. That's why you, you hear congregations referred to as flocks and pastors referred to as shepherds. I love you. Stapleton, I like saying that just so you can hear it. I love you. I really do. And I'm imperfect, and sometimes I don't love you the best in the world. But I try. I do. I do love you. And it's my job as your pastor to protect you. Which is why I have zero tolerance for false teaching. If by some grave oversight I ever bring somebody in here to preach and I hear a false gospel come out of their mouth, I will interrupt the sermon, stand up, tell them, please go to my office, service is over, I love you all, we'll talk later. I'll cut it off in the middle. i got to protect you. So... I'm trying to protect you now by telling you, if anybody preaches a gospel other than this biblical gospel, their reason for doing so is self-motivated. It's for their benefit. That's why they want to pervert the gospel of Christ. They want something out of it. Maybe it's personal benefit. Maybe it makes them feel better. You ever heard somebody say, you know, if somebody's a bully, it's because they feel insecure about themselves? You ever heard that? A bully bullies people to make them feel better about themselves. So if somebody wants to promote to you a false gospel of works, of a checklist, a lot of times that's because they've got their checklist and seeing you struggle with their checklist lets them compare themselves to you and go, well, if they were just a little bit holier, maybe God would bless them more. It makes them feel better. What about a, what about a social gospel person? Well, they have a way that they think society ought to look. And so they hijack the church and say, if you don't work to make society look this way, you don't love Jesus. Doesn't use the Bible, though. Social gospel. Prosperity gospel. I can tell you real quick like what their, what their motivation is. It's their wallet. And that usually comes across this way. Well, if you will just sow a seed of belief, then you will reap a harvest of God's blessing. What does your seed of belief like? A $50 a month recurring gift to my ministry. Really? What do you do with that $50 gift to your ministry? Well, I invest in transportation to go preach other places. What do you preach when you get there? That they need to give you a $50 recurring gift to their ministry. You're broadening the base. False gospel, self-serving. False gospels are always self-serving. May have different self-motivations, but they're always self-serving. Do you know what, what benefit I derive when somebody hears the true gospel and they give their faith to Christ? You know, the only thing I get out of it is the joy of seeing another soul saved. That's it. If anybody wants to see my job agreement with Stapleton Baptist Church, I do not get a bonus for every person that gets saved. That's not my motivation. That's not what I'm here for. 
I am not here for cash. I am not here to draw a paycheck. I'm not here to get famous. I'm not here to talk because I like the sound of my own voice. I'm here to preach the gospel so that you can be saved and spend eternity with God in love and peace and joy rather than spend eternity with God's wrath. That's what I'm here for. That's my motivation. It's not self-motivated. Does it make me feel good when somebody comes to Christ? Absolutely. Makes everybody else in here feel good too, doesn't it? I don't have a self-motivation here. So here's let, let, let me warn you against a few false gospels. And then we will move on. My job as the pastor here is to preach the real gospel. The gospel that depends on the finished work of Christ and Christ alone for the salvation of sins. Preaching that you can be saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ apart from any work of the law on your part. If you are not a member of this church, I got the same job. I'm preaching that gospel to you. I'm not just preaching it to our own members. If you're a Christian here and you are not a pastor, guess what? You have the same job. When you share the gospel with people, spread the real thing. You have the same job. Part of my job is to make sure that nobody can come here believing a false gospel and feel comfortable. So here are a few that I want you to avoid. If you count on your church membership as the work that will save you, I want to push back against that and challenge you that you may not be saved. One of the scariest things another pastor has ever told me is that he'd been at a church a few years as a staff member. And it had been years and 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 years since they had ever looked at their church role. There were folks as members on the church role that nobody even knew anymore. And the staff went to the pastor and said, well, shouldn't we update the role? And the pastor said, I'm not taking anybody's name off because I ain't taking anybody out of heaven. Really? I didn't know he had that authority. Our church role is not the Lamb's Book of Life, y'all. When we put your name on it, we are not giving you salvation. And if we take your name off, that doesn't mean we're taking it away. You might be perfectly saved and living in another state. You also might be perfectly lost and have your name on the roll. And when you die, Jesus is not going to say, Father, His name is not in my book. Her name is not on my book. God's going to say, did you check the Stapleton roll? Hold on, please. Oh, yeah, they're in there. Let me make an amendment. That's not the way it works. You can be on the church roll, but if you think that work is going to save you, I want to push back about it. If you think that you having done a particular service for this church and you think that work will save you, I want to push back against that. If you think that work's going to save you, you might not be saved. If you think you've given enough money to this church or some other church or some other ministry or some other charity and you think that that giving might save you, I want to push back against that. You might not be saved. If you, oh boy, if you vote for the quote unquote right candidates and think that your effort towards making this a righteous nation 
is a work that identifies you as a Christian, I want to push back against that. You might not be saved. What you do in the voting booth doesn't have anything to do with what Jesus did on Calvary. it, It just doesn't. Do I agree that our nation could use a, 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 a good dose of righteousness? Uh-huh. I do. But, y'all, a desire for a moral nation, you, do you know that I know a lot more Mormons who are way more moral than a lot of Christians I know? They got healthy marriages. They got happy kids. Their religion actually pushes having a family game night together once a week so that parents can can talk with their kids and, and check on them and see how their week is going, if there's anything they need help with. Doesn't that sound pretty moral? Doesn't that sound pretty upstanding? There's only one problem. False gospel. Moral righteousness. Political righteousness, if there is such a thing. Lord, after watching the news this week, I don't know if there's anybody in the District of Columbia who knows what righteousness is. And I'm done with that. And now I want to go to the other side for just a second. If you've maybe been in a church before, you've been hurt, shunned, pushed aside, or marginalized because of sins you committed that you now know are sins, and you feel like there's no hope for you, you too are a victim of a false gospel. You have believed in a gospel that is too weak to save you. That's a fake gospel too. And you can come to Christ today and be forgiven. There is hope for you. Jesus has done everything that you need to be saved. I do not want anybody in here to feel comfortable believing in a false gospel when you leave. There is one gospel that brings comfort, and that's the real one. So we, church... Any gospel that is different from the Bible's gospel is false and must be rejected. And there is no room for budging on that. Saying that believing there is only one gospel and there is only one way. When somebody says that that's bigoted, let me explain to you why that doesn't make sense. When somebody says Christians are bigoted because they believe there's only one way, that's like saying a mathematician is bigoted because he believes 2 plus 2 is 4. Facts do not equal opinions. The gospel is a fact. It's not up for debate. It's not up for argument. It is what it is. That's what God has provided. That's what God has made it. That's what God's made it. If you want a relationship, that is how. That's the only way. And when you hear something false, you should reject it. And on top of that, second point, any preacher who preaches a false gospel, I didn't say it, Paul did, is cursed and must be rejected. Verses 8 through 10. 
Listen to what Paul says. And 8 and 9, by the way, basically repeat themselves. So I'm going to read both of them. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. So these folks had come into the Galatian church and they started spewing all of this false religion. What do we do with this? We know what we do with what they're teaching, but what do we do with them? Now, I want you to think, these folks had gained a following. Think about the influential leaders that you know and think the things about them that make them influential. They may be charismatic. They may be nice people. They may have neat families and neat kids. They may be civically minded. They're always doing stuff in the community. They're active, working with charities. They might be passionate, hardworking, charitable, welcoming. Maybe, or maybe you've got this, you know, this is the nice guy heretic over here. Or maybe you've got this guy. Maybe he quote-unquote tells it like it is with hard-nosed, fire-and-brimstone-type preaching that leaves everybody's in the room toes hurting by the time they're done. If you don't straighten your life out, then God's going to rain down wrath on you and He's going to send you straight to hell. So you better keep the Ten Commandments and you better behave and you better be reverent and you better quit doing this and quit doing this and quit doing this or so help me God, He's going to judge you and on and on and on and on and on. Some people like that. You know. There's only one thing about telling it like it is. For telling it like it is to be a benefit, you actually have to be telling it like it is. Otherwise, you're just running your mouth and lying. Very loudly. So here's what Paul says to do. Take these charismatic guys, take these hard-nosed, fire-and-brimstone guys, take these charitable, uh, awesome family, you know, you know, kind, you know, maybe highly educated. They got more degrees behind their name than the thermometer. Credentials to spare, prestigious schools, study with well-known scholars. If somebody comes in here, it does not matter what other things they have going for them. If they preach a false gospel, Paul says they are cursed. Get them out. Get them out. If I ever start preaching a false gospel, if I ever come up and stand behind this pulpit and say, hey, you know what, y'all, I've got it wrong all these years. Y'all make the adjustment I did and follow me and we'll change the world. Fire me on the spot. Fire me on the spot. Does it matter how persuasive they are? Does it matter how you know per- pervasive they are? <clears throat> Put them out. Reject them. Well, Josh, that's that's rude. No, it's biblical. Maybe not in here. Maybe you're riding down the road, and you've got a, a, a preacher on the radio you like to listen to. 
And a lot of what they say sounds good, but every while, just occasionally, they'll throw in a little bit of, you know, speak this prosperity into your life. Turn it off. <clears throat> Turn it off right then. Send us this $50 seed. Behave a little bit. If you don't behave better, then God's going to... Turn it off. Now, I'm not saying there's not something to be said for personal righteousness. When somebody starts tying whether or not God's going to send you to hell to whether or not you've crossed off your checklist, that's a different gospel. Tough. Change the TV channel. Change the radio channel. Don't read that blog anymore. Don't read that website anymore. Don't read that magazine anymore. Don't read that book anymore. Reject it. And Paul says, even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we've preached to you. Now, Paul is going so far as to tell these folks, if the heavens opened up and an angel descended among us and starts preaching a gospel that's even slightly different than the gospel that you heard from the Bible, reject it. An angel from heaven is not going to do this. We do, however, in the church have a word for angels outside of heaven that do this all the time. That's the word demon. And yes, y'all, they are real. Demons are not things that only, you know, uneducated people believe in. Do you think Jesus was silly? Do you think Jesus was dumb? Do you think he was unintelligent? I don't. He very much so, I'll put it this way, the demons believed in him. They were terrified of him. You can't be terrified of somebody if you're not real. Demons do this all the time. Pastors, well, the Spirit told me. Make one little adjustment to that sentence. A Spirit told you. If it contradicts this, it might have been a Spirit, but it wasn't the Spirit. If somebody tells you that the Holy Spirit told them something and it is different from the Bible, it very well might have been a spirit, but it wasn't Him. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 3. Now the Spirit expressly says, In the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of who? Demons. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry... Do I know any church that forbids people from marrying? I do. And commanding to abstain from foods. Do they do that? Yeah. Which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. We have an express biblical statement here that there are people who may very well be telling a half-truth when they say the Spirit told them something. My question is, which Spirit? Y'all, demons are real, and they lie all the time. They influence all the time. That is their job. That is what they do. Not their God-given job. That is their rebellion. That is what they do. They know that they are, they are doomed to hell for eternity, and they want to take as many people down with them as they can. That's the way it works. They lie. 
And then this word accursed. I want to close with this. This is a very interesting word. This is the word anathema in the Greek. Anathema. Some of you have probably heard the word anathema. To define it, I'm going to let the Greek translators of the Old Testament define it for us. The Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew. But shortly before the time of the New Testament, the Hebrew language had become basically a scholarly language. Not as many people spoke it well anymore. They spoke Aramaic or Greek. So what the translators did is they didn't want the Old Testament to be lost to the believing public. So what they did is they translated the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek. That's called the Septuagint. If you ever hear me mention the Septuagint, it's the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. And they tried to get as close as they could, kind of like our English translations do. And they chose to use the word anathema several times in the Old Testament. One book way more than any others. The book of Joshua. Now if you think about what happened in the book of Joshua... God promised the promised land to the Israelites in Exodus. They wandered the wilderness in Numbers. And then finally the next generation goes into the promised land and fulfills the promises in Joshua. And routinely as they went into these pagan cities, God would give them instructions that sounded a lot like this. Do not take any of the gold Do not take any of the silver. Do not 